It's your Kali. What's up? The following program was brought to you by Yolo Kali. Keeping it weird since 1997. Oh. Who's that? Who are you? You're not allowed to be in here. Hey, yo, somebody get their grandma. Huh? Ah! Ah! Nah, you gotta do it like this. What's Up is back with another two hours of fully youth-produced content, tapping into the matters and concerns of youth in Chicago. As well as all the crazy, wacky, tea-sipping, gossip-spilling, weird shenanigans that we, youth, get up to. Listen to your own risk, because your mind might explode. The chances are low, but never zero. So strap in, and let's get into the show! Hello everyone, welcome to What's Up on WLPN LP Lumpen Radio 105.5 FM Chicago, live from Studio B in Bridgeport. I'm Eileen, and I'm here with Ariandi, Jasmine, Sophia, and Angel. We would like to introduce you all to the season premiere of What's Up's Season 23, Shameless. In today's show, we'll be covering the topic of shame. Why do we feel shame? For what? How much power do we give to our shame? Join us as we talk about our guilty pleasures, self-images, and even the pressure we face given by our own cultures. We'll be having open discussions on all things derived from shame and why we shouldn't fear our thoughts. From guilty pleasures to intriguing food combos, we are getting to the root of why we feel shame. Welcome to the first discussion of the show. Today we're going to talk about guilty pleasures because guilty pleasures get a bad rap when they really shouldn't. Everyone has a guilty pleasure, so why should we feel guilty for enjoying them, especially when they can be beneficial to our mental health? Not only that, but the things society deems guilty pleasures are biased. No one shames someone for religiously watching sports matches, but tuning in every Monday night for The Bachelor is considered a guilty pleasure. But before we get into all that, I think it's important to know the distinction between guilt and shame. I love the the little um, mini brands toys like they're so cute and I just have so many of them but they cost like $10 each mm. so they're bad for my wallet <laughs> but I feel like they're not that bad because like I feel like in a way they like kind of heal your inner child and I feel like that's kind of like why we go to them honestly also you know they sell those at like Dollar Tree not the I don't think it's a mini brand I think it's like the five surprise I don't know the difference mm. but like I know I think it's a Shopkins I don't know my friend oh, got like Shopkins a bunch too. when she worked there <laughs> now she got like a basket and I was like girl you went down the rabbit hole again I need to get on that <laughs> <laughs> um, but I love I love all the guilty pleasures but I want to know if there's if these are things that bring us joy obviously like everyone was smiling talking about this why do you think they're deemed shameful or something to feel guilty about by society? Because obviously, like, we enjoyed them, so why should we feel bad about them? Mm-hmm. I think people just like to be mean about... Yeah, because you don't see anyone really geek out about the things that they love. It's more like people are just, like, very monotone, like, yeah, I'm, I'm too cool for that. Mm-hmm. So when someone's, like, genuinely interested in something, they just, like, get shamed for it. It's like, oh, why do you like that? And I don't know. I feel like there's always those people trying to rain on your parade. Mm-hmm. What about you, Ariandi? What do you think? I was just going to agree. Like, yeah, I feel like people are just, like, like, I don't know why people are so mean. Like, you know, like, thing like cringe culture. Like, it's just like, bro, like, that's dead. Like, just, like, openly love whatever you love. Like, like, um... 
I don't know. Like, yeah, I think people are just mean. Like, they don't know how to enjoy their lives, so they just want to, like, push other people to feel the same. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. You got any other thoughts on it, Sophia? Yeah, I think, like, a lot of it might be, like, they might not want to show, like, uh, any type of joy or, like, expression, like, for whatever they might enjoy. So, like, they want to, like, hate on others. Like, kind of like what was already mentioned. Um, and I'll, I actually, I have a little quote from a New York Times article called um, Guilty Pleasures, No Such Thing. So let's see, it's right here. This was from um, Dr. Sammy Shulk, an assistant professor of gender and women's studies um, in the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And they write that, like, often there's negative things associated with guilty pleasures, and that negative thing often ends up being associated with categories of identities we disparage or marginalize in society. Um, so, like I uh, mentioned in like the beginning of this conversation, uh, NBA playoffs versus reality TV. Personally, I love watching reality TV. I watched The Challenge. I haven't watched The Bachelor in a couple of years. But when you think about it, you know, you have an image in your head of someone who's watching The Bachelor. You think like, oh, maybe like a 40-year-old something, a woman, you know, nothing to do. So she's, that's what she's doing with her Monday night. And that's kind of like the negative thing we associate with it. But then you think NBA playoffs, like, oh, my God, cool. Like, sports, it's so awesome. Like, there's like so much like you know, companionship and, like, cheering together and building community. But, like, you go online, everyone loves The Bachelor. There's a reason why this show has been on forever, why there's, like, so many mix-ups of it. So it's, like, why, like, is this to be viewed a negative thing when, obviously, it's, like, something people love, love, like, so much. But because, like, you know, people think about, like, oh, I don't want to be associated with that group, so... Like, if I like this, no, it's a guilty pleasure. Like, I don't actually like it. Like, I love it so much because it's so bad. Like, I can't stop watching it. So I want to get your guys' thoughts on that. I never really thought about that. Like, that's so, like, yeah, like, I never really thought about it. It was, like, a cultural thing. Like, like it's just we really, like, egg on each other. Like, we subconsciously, like, group people in a group. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if you watch this and, like, oh, like that. Like, I never really thought about that. But I'm not one to judge. I feel like I I have, I have really bad taste in, like, TV shows and stuff. So <laughs> I, that's why I never really judge. But, like, yeah, like, I never really thought about that. This was, like, really eye-opening. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Elena? Um, I don't know. Like, in regards to the whole sports and bachelors thing, I feel like because it's majority of women that watch The Bachelor, I feel like people just naturally shame them for doing that, mm-hmm. like, and where it's a sports, it's a community. It's like, yeah, like, let's gather around. Let's watch sports, you know. But The Bachelor, it's more of like a, you know, let me just sit by myself and watch Bachelor. Like, it's a cute little thing. But, yeah. Yeah. See, and, like, I got you about, like, the difference of, like, men like versus women. So, yeah, it's, like, stereotypical man thing, the stereotypical mm-hmm. woman thing. And, like, I'd like, like to think about, like, the fact that people love to, like, hate on or, like, throw shade towards, like, teenage girls and whatever that, like, like there's a new thing every single, like, generation. And, like, mm-hmm. I think for, like, ours or, like, my generation, it was Twilight. Mm-hmm. Everyone hating on Twilight, like, oh, my God, like, if I watch, like, that's just, like, my guilty pleasure. Like, no, 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 no. But I'm, like, now everyone's, like, oh, yeah, no, I love Twilight. And it was just, like, oh, so it just took y'all, like, what, nearly 10 years to yeah. actually admit that you like it? Like, okay, it's a little cringy, you know, the sparkly skin was a little much, but <laughs> you like it. Come on, <laughs> like, um... Uh-huh. I just wanted to add, like, it's also, like, I don't know if you guys know, like, that weird, like, millennials hating on Gen Z thing. Like, why is that such a big thing? Like, why do they hate hate us so much? Like, I don't know. I feel like it might be, like, uh, they feel shame for, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. They just see us having fun, and they're, like, let's shame them. Like, I don't know. Like, you know, it's so weird. I don't know. 
which is so weird because I'm like, aren't we supposed to like, you know, break the cycle, break the like generational hate? It's just like you're mm-hmm. you're turning around doing the same thing like baby boomers and like Gen was it Gen X like mm-hmm. did to us? Like, come on, yeah. And yeah, it's almost as if like they're programming us to just be against each other. Like mm-hmm. any category, any group you're a part of, it's like, yeah, hate on other people that aren't interested in the same things that you are, you know. And I feel like a lot of it is generational. Like, I feel like it's been passed on and on and on. But, like, it should stop. Like, we shouldn't. Like, I feel like Gen Z, like, is pretty good about, like, doing that. Like, not not continuing the cycles. And we're pretty good about breaking them, which is, like, something that I'm, like, proud of, like, as a generation. Yeah. I, I really want, like, the cyclists to stop. So if this generation could do it or at least, like, put a really good damper on it, I think that would be great. Um, but I have, a, I have another question for y'all. It's, like, speaking of, like, breaking it, so... Do you have any tips for our listeners of how to grow past, like, the guilt and the guilty pleasures? Because, like, like I said, Rainbow High, at first I felt a little guilty that guilt honestly lasted for, like, a singular day because I was like, no, I'm healing my inner child and I love this. Like, I got pictures on my phone, yada, yada. So I want to know any of you guys, you know, want to grow, like, tips for growing past the guilt and guilty pleasures. Um, I would say just, like, remind yourself why it is that you love what brings you interest and just sit with that and remind yourself, like, this brings me joy because of, you know, X, Y, and Z. And really feeling guilt about the things you like only exists because you're thinking about how other people are perceiving, like, your interests. So just don't think about what other people, like, how people would perceive your interests. You just have to sit with the fact that this brings me joy and this is why. Mm-hmm. What about you, Arendi? Um, yeah, same thing, like Eileen is saying, like, I feel like if you start hanging out with a group of people or, like, your friends are, like, starting to shame you, like, if they shame you for, like, little things that, like, bring you joy, like, what else would they shame you for? So maybe they're just not, like, the right people to be around, you know what I mean? So just really surround yourself by people who are, like, supportive and, you know, like, who just don't care. Like, because if you, if you, like, if you feel like your friends are hating you for, like, something that you enjoy, like... Or, like, maybe sometimes I can be internal, you know what I mean? Like, you just feel like you're projecting, like, oh, my God, my friends, like, don't like that. I like this, you know? Like, like maybe that's just, um, I feel like getting past that, like, you just have to, like, acknowledge that, like, or sometimes, I don't know, some, sorry, I'm, like, going on a tangent. No, you're fine, you're fine. But, like, but, but, yeah, if you, like, just, like, what Eileen was saying, like, if you, if you get something that, like, finds you genuine joy and if it's, like, not hurting anybody else, like, then, like, what's, like like why does it cost so much like just really think about it and like sit on it you know like you know what this makes me happy so i'm gonna keep doing it yeah and honestly like you're saying like if your friends like are shaming you for this like maybe they're not like the best people and if you can't find a community like how like you know irl then honestly go online like mm-hmm. go online find like you know your niche little subreddit or like tumblr blog and just build your own community and like have fun because i think like Growing up, like, you're ashamed, but I think this is cringy, this is cringy, but I'm like, you're only young once. Like, enjoy it while you're young and you have the energy to do everything and then continue on. Like, be like be like me. I'm 23. I tell you, I got $21 and I do not care. They are adorable, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, Este, Sophia, you have anything to add to it? Uh, I guess just, like, that it's a lot easier, like, to say than do. Like, I feel like that's something that I'm, like, constantly, like, working on because, like, it's, I think that it's, like, hard to, like, not care what other people think when we're like in a generation that's like so like like that's something that we like base ourselves on a lot but i feel like just like what was mentioned i feel like we just have to like stop caring what other people think like i think it's just like super hard but like i think it's something that we should like do yeah and like it doesn't have to be like all at once like if it's like you like you said it is a really hard thing to do um but I think, like, baby steps, so, you know, maybe just, like, don't go, like, out 
you know, crazy if, like, you're too anxious for that. Maybe be, like, start, like, hey, like, on your Instagram story, your Snapchat, be, like, this is, like, something cool I like. Anyone like it? Just, like, on the sly, you know, like, test out the waters, try to find your people, and just try to, like, be more comfortable in your own skin. I think that's a really good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you're really open about the things that you like, you're actually going to find people that align with mm-hmm. your life. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes, like, I feel like, I don't know, sometimes I feel like people who are really conservative, like with their interests or like who are very gatekeepy are just very like, like emotionally distant people in general. So like, I feel like the more like if you are one of those people like who are emotionally distant and you start to realize that, I feel like the more you open up about your interests, the more like friendly you'll become and like the more like open you'll become to talk about other things, you know, like, so yeah. Yeah. And I actually have like one more like quote before we finish up Um, from the same, the same article, different person. This one's from. Um, Dr. Robin Navi, uh, and it says, we have this cultural value of media consumption being edifying and that we should do, we should be about growing and achieving. We don't focus as much on relaxation and playing and enjoyment and fun. And these are such important aspects of being human beings. And so like, it gets into more in the article, but it's literally like beneficial to your mind to just sit back, enjoy it, turn your brain off and just enjoy the things you love. Enjoy your guilty pleasures without the guilt and the shame attached because like internalize almost feeling be like, no, this is terrible, this is terrible. It's just taken away from the fun and like the break your brain needs. Everything doesn't have to be like, you know, growing as a person or doing this, doing that. It could just be like, I'm doing this because it's fun. And that's, that's the whole reason, like full stop period. And that's okay to do because it literally helps your mind. But yeah. Um, I think that's all the time we have for this discussion. So I'm going to pass it off to Eileen, who's going to lead the next one. Okay, so in this next segment, we'll be discussing our own self-images and how society has shamed us into thinking negatively about ourselves. It's important to have these discussions so that everyone knows that this is a universal feeling. We all go through similar experiences, and it's okay to talk about how we feel with each other, especially when it comes to topics like self-image and why we may feel shame whenever we think of it. That is why we'll be listening to an audio piece by me, Eileen, that discusses self-image and how it's been given a bad rep. Self-image. It's something people never truly open up about. The things that they share are always on the surface. Modern day society's understanding of self-image is rooted in shame. As I asked more people about their own self-image, a lot of them just shrugged it off. You don't have to worry about your self-image if you're if you're lit and sh- And I believe it's because none of us are comfortable sharing the vulnerability self-image arises. Uh, that's going to that's going to like in detail. I don't know. I just I, I just, you know, I'm just, a, I'm just a chill dude. Yeah, I don't, I don't really think about it much. I try not to. We think our self-image is who we are, our consciousness. We're the only species that has the ability to think of our character and to be able to change the way we act, think, or do. Self-image is a broad spectrum, and that scares people. We confine ourselves to labels presented to us. Anxious, depressed, addicted. We've been convinced our self-image is our flaws. When I asked an interviewee when they first became aware of their self-image, they replied with, Um, getting out of a toxic relationship. Our flaws can play a part in the self-image, but it's not the entirety of it. Talking to someone about how you perceive yourself is not easy. I got a lot of silence while interviewing people. I mean, I couldn't even come up with the words to answer someone asking about my self-image. I wouldn't like to acknowledge it because social media has put a negative connotation on what self-image is. When I asked what made them more aware of their self-image, one of the interviewees replied, 
I think social media. And majority of our youth can agree with that. Social media. Social media does. With social media bringing fame to people who are perfect on the surface, it's creating more anxiety and depression within our youth. Because every time you get on there, there's always, like as a woman, there's always images of how men perceive women. To, that, that's how they're supposed to be. So then you're in your mentality, you're like, oh, well, men on the internet think I'm supposed to look like this, and I don't look like this, and I don't really like looking in the mirror. They start to believe they're unlucky if they don't look a certain way, shaming them for being who they are. How often do you think of yourself in I try not to, not, not very often, it'll come up. I try to just, yeah, I don't, I don't really think about it much. I try not to, it can be tough. Their self-image then becomes those anxious and depressed labels that derives from social media overloading us with information, with different people. We have too much access to everything and it clouds our judgment. You are not your negative thoughts. We were evolved to emotionally perceive. And nowadays, everything is physical, on the surface. What do they have that I don't? Why do they have that and I don't? Self-image only exists because we think too much of how other people will view us. It is because of our modern day society why majority of people feel shame whenever they think about their own self-image. Shame of who we are and what we were given. What makes you self-conscious? The mirror. Imagine if you never had the ability to see what you look like. Then you'd live your entire life based on feeling and not through the perception of self. I'm like, oh, every time I look in the mirror, I'm like, oh, that's a dude. Our youth is becoming heavily influenced by the things that they see online because they're led to believe that that is all life has to give. We're being influenced by people who we'd know nothing about without the existence of social media. And when the masses are doing something, you may begin to question why you aren't doing the same thing. Our youth is seeking validation from complete strangers. Our self-image relies on what social media presents to us, if gone unchecked. We begin to think the way everyone does. We need to be kinder to ourselves. We're the first species to have a consciousness, and majority of the time, we use it to tear ourselves down. We were gifted emotions, ideas, words. Let us use them to uplift our uniqueness as individuals experiencing this lifetime together. Let us not feel shame for how we look, feel, or think. Your life experience is perfectly curated for you. You are exactly how you're supposed to be. Let your self-image be all the things that make you beautifully unique and be shameless about who you are. You know, as long as you're a nice person. So, does society shame us? Let's get into it. Is there anything that stood out in the audio piece that you all would like to further discuss? Something an interviewee said, a topic that was brought up? Um, I really like thought that like the youth are being judged by like people on the internet who are complete strangers. Mm -hmm. Like that's so true. I mean, like even us, you know, like we we go on social media and we want our page to look a certain way. We want to post things that are certain a certain way, you know, because we feel like if we don't like like go with the you know what we see already, like then we're gonna stand out too much and we don't really want to do that. So yeah, I thought that was interesting to think about. Yeah, I definitely think that the social media part was very, um, what stood out to me, I think that we live in a very uh, media-based society, and I think that we're all very affected by it. There's so many different social media apps that, like, uh, put on these expectations, and I feel like they affect us in many different ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's all about, like, how am I going to get perceived on this social media app, and I feel like with more apps just being brought out, that's become, like, the basis of our existence, and 
that's the only place where we show our character and it's not really like face-to-face conversations and yeah it's all just based on social media um what do you think jazz i just thought it was so scary how many people were like social media social media social media i was like it's like and i would i want to i want to like be defensive and be like oh no like i'm not in that group no i'm definitely in that group (laughs) like growing up i was definitely in that group and i think like i still feel the effects now where i'm like i look at the pictures and i'm like I want to be that or like you know mm-hmm. or like why can't I do x y and z and exactly. it's really hard to break that mindset yeah especially because I feel like we all grew up when social media was like starting like really beginning and blowing up so that's really all we've ever known like seeing people online and comparing ourselves to those people you know even if we now aren't like that we obviously like grew up thinking that way um, so how does society or social media create the generic image? Um, I feel like a lot, like maybe like through ads too, like mm-hmm. we are always like, um, cause we could, well, we live in a capitalist society, but like, we're always just like, we see people like wearing the stuff and we're like, dang, if we don't have that, like, I feel kind of like, I feel bad, you know, like, like, why am I, why don't I have AirPods? Like, you know, like, especially like now i don't really think about that but like when i was younger i was like very influenced very easily you know so like why don't have why don't i why don't i have beats you know like why don't i have like nice shoes like you know so it's a lot of ads and like um yeah stuff like that mm-hmm. yeah i agree with that they always like advertise like this if you have this like one thing like this one thing like it's gonna fix like so many things about you like everyone's gonna love you and then like, you get that one thing and like it breaks in two seconds and just crushes your heart yeah you just see so many people with the same thing you start to convince yourself hey i i need me some of that like yeah. i need me those headphones yeah what do you think sophia yeah i think that we're also in a very eurocentric society especially like in the united states where like even the people that we see in these types of ads don't usually look like this they're like completely different than what we look like and that like has an effect on how we view ourselves and I feel like that's why I feel like it's so important that now we're seeing so many, so much more diversity and that's like important for us to like help us with our self-image. But before that was something that was in common and that's still even popular today. Yeah, like I remember one time my mom told me that growing up she thought like hair was beautiful on women and now it's just seen as such a negative thing because we're exposed to what we see online and the comments of other people, whereas Back then, they were only exposed to, p- to the people, like, in their, ex- like, inner world, like, their little communities, the people next to them, which were, you know, average, you know, people, the people we feel safe with, rather than we see, obviously, like, more attractive people being popularized and this certain look that we all are subconsciously, like, want to achieve or... Yeah, it's just social media is bringing such a toxic mindset to everyone. Yeah, and I feel like sometimes even if you don't think you're being influenced, like, mm-hmm. like how, what was that? What's that one brand like? Um, you know, Nana. Like, she has that one brand. Um, what's it called? I forgot. It has like the world with the little cross on it and the oh, you know uh, Vivian Westwood. Yeah, Vivian Westwood. Yes. If you feel like you're not getting influenced, like, oh, I don't pay attention to that, like. You watch Nana, you start buying some Vivian Westwood. Like, you know what uh-huh. I mean? You're starting no, to get yeah, influenced. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because as soon as I saw those necklaces, I thought they were very pretty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. You just become influenced by the things that you see everywhere. Like, even if you're not consciously paying attention to it, like, your subconscious is grabbing onto those things that you see frequently. And eventually you're going to start thinking, okay, I'm going to, I want one of those. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back after this very short promo break. Welcome back. 
Let us continue the vulnerability, sharing our thoughts on our own self-images and how society shames us simply for existing. So everyone, at what age did you become aware of your social image? Um, I would say like right around like the age of 12, I mean, like right when was like puberty is starting, which like I hate with a passion, <laughs> but it's like suddenly everyone in my class was like, a little more judgy, a little more this. Like, the mean girls were like, oh, we're going to tear these people apart. And I'm like, oh, like, wait, why? And then I'm like, oh, like, now I have, like, a self-image. Like, now it's, like, all these, like, little things I didn't think about before, but I became super aware of and was super uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same. Like, like around, like, puberty, like, 12. Like, yeah, like, just, like, little things that I never realized that I did. And, like, I feel like also, like, when I started becoming, like, more aware of this, like, I just started to, like, close myself off more, so it was, like, pretty bad, but yeah. For me, I feel like it was so much younger. Like, I'm kind of surprised that it, yours was at around that age, because for me, it was around when I was uh, six or seven, and I think that mine started pretty young, because um, I feel like I'd hear a lot from, like, schoolmates and, like, uh, even family, which is crazy, that, like, they would judge, and I feel like that's, like, hard as, like, a kid. Yeah, I agree with the around age six and seven when I really started to become like aware of my self-image as much as a six-year-old can. Because growing up, I don't know, little girls were just like really mean. So I kind of just started closing myself off to like um, being around like the little girls. And I don't know. So I just really became aware of how I was being treated. And, you know, I had to question some aspects of myself as a six-year-old. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. So was the entirety of it like negative? Was there anything positive that you all thought about yourself or? I thought I was funny. Cause like <laughs> people like people would like come up to me like at the lunchroom table, and be like, "Yo, tell me a joke," or be or cause I had like a really like deep voice, or like I would like talk really weird. I don't know. There were people because people would come up to me and be like, "Yo, say dude, say bro," and I'd be like, <laughs> "Okay," and I would just say dude and bro, and people would just laugh. But other than that, like, yeah, like, visually, like, the physical aspect, like, I just really, like, it was really, it was bad. <laughs> it was really bad. Mm -hmm. It was very negative. Anyone else? Yeah, for me, it was also pretty bad, like, in the physical, like, the physical mm -hmm. aspect. But, like, I thought that I was so smart, like, as a kid. Like, I was the one always getting straight A's. I was getting praised by my teachers. So that, like, really boosted up my self-image. Honestly, same, same. Like, I was a big nerd in middle school especially and I was just like oh yeah like I I am the scene when it comes to grades and academics <laughs> like physical aspect don't talk about that I was like that was a little a little awkward I for some reason could not let go of my um like zip up sweater that was always around my waist like <laughs> glued there but that is so yeah. real <laughs> when I was in like oh well, I'm first of all I'm glad we could talk about positive aspects about ourselves mm -hmm. as kids like that's so healing to think about but but yeah same when I was when I was in like eighth grade like six like middle school I would always wear the same green Aeropostale sweater you would never see me without <laughs> that sweater like I don't know I really thought I ate that I did you not. did you did at the time, <laughs> at the time. <laughs> no but growing up I mean of course I feel like it's easy to fall into pointing out the negative aspects about ourselves but it's really important to remember like the things that do make us unique like when I was little I loved well even like now I just loved winning art contests so I would always just you know show up for the art contest and that was like my little thing and I don't know I really love to center center my self-image around that of course there's like negative things that come into that but I think 
for self-image, it's important to highlight the things that make you unique and special and the things that you love about yourself. Um, yeah. Anything else lovely that you guys would like to share about your self-image to uplift? Because I feel like society, I brought this up in my audio piece, they really focus on kind of the negatives and like shaming us for who we are and our likes. Um, so whenever I like ask people about their self-image, they instantly thought like about the awkward things and the things that they like to point out about themselves instead of their uniqueness. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's all the time we have for talking about self-image. Remember to always be yourself and be proud of the person you are. Now, I'm passing it over to Jasmine to talk all about shame. Thank you. And continuing on with this topic, I also recorded a Vox Pop Pop about shame. This Vox Pop was done right outside the National Museum of Mexican Art, where I got to interview a nice woman named Jasmine about shame growing up which I think is a really important thing to talk about. We carry a lot of shame we were taught growing up into our adult lives. And so it's important to reflect on that shame and acknowledge um, where it comes from and how we've grown past it. So without further ado, here is my Vox Pop. All right, so hi, my name is Jasmine. I'm with Yolo Kali. Um, so what's your name and how are you doing today? Hi, Jasmine. My name is Jasmine also, and I was just at the museum. Okay, well, I love meeting another Jasmine. Um, how old are you? I am 28 years old. Oh, okay. I mean, it would have been cool if we were the same age. <laughs> but um, I, let's see, I have a couple questions for you. The show's about shame, so pertaining to that. So first, growing up, was there something that was considered shameful in your family? Yes. I think growing up, it would be shameful to, like, not saludar all of the tias and tios at the party. Um, I think also some body shame or, like, um, shame around chichos or uh, that's what we call it in my house, where it's like, oh, estás engordando, like, things like that, I think, brought shame to to children so yeah yeah I, I think a lot of Hispanics like people can probably relate to that yeah. I can relate to that um so uh did you feel shame about that and like if you did do you still feel the effects of it I think I did feel shame about that growing up where I would like try to hide my body or even if we were like showing too much skin also that was something to be ashamed of like being sexy um but I think I definitely grew out of it um just with time and just realizing that you should love yourself and accept yourself just the way that you are that's great to hear um you said like you know like what time do you know like probably like around what age do you think you grew out of it gosh um maybe like when I was 17 18 years old um I think that's when I was really exploring like my own identity and you know playing around with fashion and stuff like that so I think that's when I started growing out of it and kind of like it for me it felt like I was rebelling because maybe I was wearing things that my parents wouldn't necessarily approve of but I was becoming an adult um, and I could make those decisions and I felt very empowered to make those decisions at that age. Very happy for you. Yeah. So. We have a lot of young viewers. Do you have any advice for them for coming, overcoming shame and like growing like you did? Yeah, um, I have to think of it. 
I think just your feelings are valid, so definitely sit in that, but don't stay in those feelings for a very long time. Um, you know, think I like to think about the version of myself that I want to be, and then kind of start living that way and start, you know, affirming yourself and looking in the mirror and like telling yourself those great things about that person that you want to be one day um, that doesn't hold those feelings of shame. So that's something that worked for me. Nice. I think that's great advice. Uh, well, thank you so much for your yeah. time. I hope you have a wonderful day and I'll let you get back to your day now. Thank you. <laughs> okay, this is so cool. Hi, and welcome back. So I want to know, what did y'all think? I think that she had a lot of good points at the end and good advice. I would say, yeah, I really liked how she mentioned to just, you know, every, you're unique and like to value what you value and yeah. Okay, well, you know, just like I asked like the Jasmine and the Vogue Swap, I want to ask y'all, um, what are some things in your families that were considered shameful? I think she kind of mentioned like not saying not saludar, so not like welcoming like and saying hello to everyone. That was pretty shameful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find that interesting. Like as a kid, I was like, I don't want to do it. As a kid, I was like, I don't want to do it. But like now I'm like, I feel like saludar. Like I feel like bogus if I don't say hi to everybody like at a party or like even just come into work or like a YOLO. I'm just like, I feel like I have to say hi to everybody or else I feel like people are going to feel left out. I don't know. I get that. Yeah, like, I work in, like, a big stadium, and everyone says hi, which I, like, at first I found a little weird. I'm like, I don't even know you. Like, you work in this department. And then, like, now I'm, like, the person walking through, like, hi, how are you? Hi, how are you? I don't know, just to be, like, acknowledge everyone walking by. Everyone's just trying to get through the day, so... But um, another, in, in my family, like, the weird thing growing up was, like, using the right you in Spanish, like, usted versus, like, mm-hmm. tú and whatever, mm-hmm. which, like, I... My Spanish is terrible, so I didn't really use it like at first it wasn't on purpose but then like when they annoyed me i'm like now i'm not gonna use usted just to annoy you but like that was like shameful like you got to use the proper spanish which Mm -hmm. like that's hard when you don't know spanish yeah or it's funny when you when i sometimes i'd be i'd be saying usted to people who are younger and i'd be like usted como estas and they'd be like no me digas usted like (laughs) like it's so funny (laughs) but i do it on purpose (laughs) okay um well, I also want to know, what are some ways you have grown past shame? So obviously, like, you know, the, the saludate, like, you know, we all just said, like, now we do it ourselves, but, like, anything else growing up that you now, like, you know, you think you're over, or, like, mostly over now you're comfortable with? Ariandi? Mm, like, what do you mean? Can you, like, elaborate? Um, so, like, in, like, the audio piece, like, she said, like, you know, a lot about, like, well, like, like self-image and, like, you know, like, I forgot the Spanish word for it. Mm-hmm. But, like, in, like, love handles and, like, being self-conscious about mm-hmm. that or, like, you know, gaining weight being shameful. But now, like, mm-hmm. you know, for, for that example, it'd be like, oh, now you're, like, you're a little more comfortable in your own body and being okay with it. I think, like, maybe, like, gender identity. Like, I've always struggled with my gender identity. Like, I still don't know really what I want to be or, like, who I am or, like, whatever. But, like, um... But yeah, like as a kid, I would get shamed a lot for being very like not feminine. Like I wouldn't comb my hair, like I wouldn't do makeup, you know, I wouldn't wear like certain things, you know. And like I did feel kind of ashamed for my mom, like, you know, because she fe- like people would like mistake me for like a boy on the streets and stuff. And like but growing up and I see all these kids like exploring their identity, it's like very like empowering, you know, like just like if kids can do it now, like I'm a whole grown person. <laughs> and so, um, yeah. You know, like, if kids are doing it, like, why can't I do it, you know? Yeah. 
I relate to that a lot. Like, I, I also wasn't a very, like, feminine person growing up, and my mom hated it. They're like, why can't you wear a dress? Like, why can't you do this? Like, um, she would always call me a tomboy, and, like, I know, like, sometimes it will just be, like, just the word, but sometimes it kind of felt like it had, like, like malintent, like, put onto it. It's just like, oh, you're a tomboy. And I remember, like, I was very, like, um, spiteful. A uh, little middle grade, like school, middle schooler. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like I, t- I tried out for the cheer team because my mom was a cheerleader and I got accepted. And then I didn't join just like spite her. Like, oh, this is just to prove like I can do girly things, but I'm not going to do it just to be like, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Going off of what Ariane said about like not feeling like feminine enough or wearing baggy clothes and being judged but like by your own parents for doing that um i don't know we've just like grown up with a lot of shame especially by our parents um and well at least like it but like going back to what you said jasmine about being like called a tomboy and it having a negative connotation to it i don't know it makes you question a lot but you know you grow up and you realize i like wearing what i like to wear you know and that's okay because it's something that i'm comfortable in and if someone doesn't agree with that you know it's not on their body and it's not affecting them it's just you know the comments that they feel like they have to make all right um you have anything to add sophia to that i think that was really good yeah i think that it also like goes to show that we can break these like norms that we have like we don't all have to like pass it on to like future generations and we don't have to like listen to like the people who call us tomboys because I was also called tomboy growing up. So like we can just like we can just like own it, I guess. Nice. Um, now I just have one more question for y'all. Um, you know, we talk a lot about like when we were younger. So is there anything you would like to tell your younger selves pertaining to shame? Um, I know that's like a hard question, so I'll go first. I would just like to tell my younger self like it's okay. Like literally, just like take a deep breath, calm down. Like things are gonna change. Things are hard and you know, you feel all these like emotions, negative emotions, and sometimes it's it's coming from the family and or so it's coming from people close to you. But like eventually in like little steps, like it's gonna be okay and you're gonna grow past this and you're gonna be so happy. So that's what I would tell my younger self. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. Yeah, like don't let other people's like opinions on you just like weigh you down. Like really just enjoy your life as it is, like because you're only gonna be young for so long, you know. Like, like, um, like, like, um, really invest in your interests and like invest in yourself and don't worry about what other people think about you. Exactly. Yeah. I would just give my younger self like a big hug and just tell them to keep doing what they love and to do the things that bring them joy and not to think about like exterior voices telling you how you should be or how you should present yourself and just stay true to who you are, despite what you hear all around you. Anything else to add to this? I think that I just tell my younger self that I love her. You make me cry. It's so important. Yeah, it really is. Um, Well, this was a lovely discussion. I'd like to thank everyone to being very open and honest. Um, Just remember for our listeners out there, it's like everything's, you know, baby steps. Grow and explore at your own time and try to let go of that shame. Uh, But that's all for this conversation. Now I'm going to pass it on to... Uh, Sophia, who will be leading our next discussion about cultural and societal pressures and shame. Now that we've explored topics such as guilty pleasures and self-image, I'd like to move our conversation onto cultural and societal pressures. For this conversation, I'll be joined by Ariandi, Jasmine, and Angel. First, let's check in. How are you all doing? I'm doing good. Yeah, pretty good, pretty good. Pretty good. I'm doing good, too. I'm having fun with this. 
So what do you all know about cultural and societal pressures? I feel like these are some topics that aren't talked about as much in Latino communities. So like, I just like to know what you know. Um, I feel like, at least for me, like it's like those things are just like, I don't think about it. But then when someone points it out, it's like, oh yeah, I guess that's, that's something I never thought about. Like I feel pressure from X, Y, and Z. And so like right now I can't really like think of an example to point out, but I feel like as soon as we start talking, I'm be like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Angel? Uh, for me, uh, culture and societal pressures, the biggest thing that comes to mind is that it can mess up your mental health, like a lot in your self-image and the way you think about yourself. Like when you want to be your own person, the pressures of other people like really weigh you down and it's really tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. Just like what people want to see me as, you know, like that's what I think about. Like who, who, like, who am I perceived as? Mm-hmm. As young people, I feel like we deserve a lot of spaces to talk about these things since they affect us in various different ways. They affect our mental health, like Angel said. Um, there's so much pressure that someone might receive from older generations, and I think it is important to address that now since we're younger. By doing this, we would avoid passing our own struggles and trauma to the next generations. Do any of you feel like you experience cultural and societal pressures? I guess now would be like a time where we actually talk about it and give examples. Uh. Um. For me, uh, growing up, I was the only boy. I have surrounded by sisters, so my fo- my parents were really focused on me being like the big, strong man in the family. So that included like doing a lot of physical activity, like things that they couldn't. Like my sisters wanted to join basketball. My parents say no. That's something for your brother. That's something that he has to do, like as a man. And then like even today, like when we're doing, like when we're lifting heavy stuff, like my grand, like my sister would try to carry it, and they're really like, no, that's for your brother. You have to carry that. So like one of the things that. The pressure that I feel like as a boy, like being the only brother, is like I have to like be strong for them and everything. It just sucks because they want. I guess I want my sisters to also be independent, but our family doesn't want it to be like that. Going off of what you just said, like you just made me think about like just the the exact like opposite gender role, which is like. You know, teachers like in school be like, "Oh, I need like two big, strong boys to come help carry these chairs," and I'm like, "No, like I'm gonna carry five chairs now." And in my household, like um, being like forced into like the motherly like caregiver role, which I am not, I am not, and our family like hated it. Like they, the more they try to like force me to, to like, oh, you have to learn how to cook, you have to do this, like you have to serve everyone a plate before eating yourself, and I'm like. Hey, yo, like, at a family gathering, like, why is my older brother there sitting down, not helping us cook? But me and my um, older sister, we have to be in this hot kitchen, and he could just sit there. And I'm like, so there's so much pressure to be, like, motherly and soft. And when I didn't fit that mold, like, it just gave me so much anxiety as a kid. And so, like, obviously, like, literally, like, the exact, like, opposite gender role, as, like, you just said. Mm-hmm. I think, like, well, I was the only girl in my family. Like, I was uh, the only daughter, so I had two older brothers. And I didn't really experience anything crazy. Well, I mean, obviously, yeah, like the kitchen and stuff like that. Like I'm supposed to cook. But my brothers do not know how to cook. <laughs> like, like um, so yeah, and stuff like that. But I realized a lot with like what I wear. Like I would wear like a lot of baggy clothes and like because it was like my brother's hand-me-downs and stuff like that. So like I would go to school and then they look at me weird and I'd be like, is this not normal? You know, <laughs> like, like um, yeah. So, like I guess that's like a more societal pressure. I feel like I've also experienced experienced a lot of these pressures. I feel like a lot of them do go back to like the gender norms that we see. I feel like especially as Latinos, we like see those things where there's like a lot more machismo, and I feel like they can affect our day to day life. And I guess I'm wondering, do you think these affect your day to day life or how you've grown up? Yeah, definitely. Cause like, I feel like as a kid, like I would I would I would be like the one who would cry all the time. Like and like, my brothers would like cry too, but. 
like it's like but they were like you know ashamed for it you know and it's like it's just messed up like the machismo you know and stuff like that you just really see it growing up and you see your brothers doing because i only have brothers so if they get shamed for it like am i not allowed to cry like you know so yeah it's messed up yeah and i mean i think i also feel like the effects on the day today um it's kind of like i'm carrying like a tiny little weight just just like constantly sits on my shoulder so like when i'm out and about doing things or like trying different styles it's like i always got the the like feeling of like being perceived by everyone around me like am i like fitting the mold and it's just like it's too much yeah what about you angel um i don't know just like everyday day-to-day life it's tough because like when i go out with my sisters like my parents always tell me oh watch over your sisters and like i understand that you know but it's like they're older they can take care of themselves so it's like why do i need to watch over them when they can be themselves i don't need to be there with them you know yeah definitely i feel like we see a lot of these issues and um i feel like they've grown and grown and grown and have passed on from generation to generation and it's kind of hard to like pick them out now but i feel like it's good that we're talking about them because we need we do need spaces like i've mentioned already and um can what I about ma- can i mention one thing Uh, Like, growing up, growing up with sisters, uh, like, they would make me, like, paint my nails, you know, do my hair. Everyone hated that. Like, like, I would dress up, like, bright colored, like, clothes. You know, I remember painting my nails. The first time I painted my nails, oh, my, like, the feedback that I got from my family, they were out for blood. Like, they (laughs) they wanted to kill me and my sisters. So I just feel like it's tough, you know. And I feel like societal and cultural pressure can sometimes, like, ruin relationships, you know. And that's, that's the harshest thing about it. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like there's a lot of, like, stigmas between, like, cutting off people from your family. But a lot of them, they're the ones that have been, like, toxic for your whole life. And you have to do it. Yeah. Like, I want to add, like, people who are, like, LGBTQ. Like, I've had, like, a girlfriend for, like, three years. And my dad doesn't know. Like, my brothers don't know. Like, because I'm just terrified. You know? Like, I'm terrified, like, what they'll think of me. Like, because I don't have any, like, other, like, people who are LGBTQ in my family. So it's just scary, you know? So, yeah. No, I... I really relate to that. Like, I I haven't dated someone of the same sex, but I am bi. And, like, the anxiety I have, like, mm-hmm. if I ever get a girlfriend, because, like, my sister also bi, when she brought her girlfriend around, it was, like, it was, like, the talk of the family for three years. And I'm, like, y'all got nothing better to talk about? <laughs> yeah. Like, dang, like... And even after they broke up, like, no one would, like, respect her identity afterwards. Like, they're like, oh, no, you're like, your sister's a lesbian, right? And I'm like, no, like, she's bi. They're like, oh, that's not real. And I'm like, oh, man, I guess I'm a unicorn. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Exactly. Yeah, it's just, like, it's scary, especially in, like, Latino communities. Like, they're very, like, looked down upon. Like, it's just, like, you're supposed to be with a man. You're supposed to be with a woman. Like, like it's not right. Like, so it's just really scary to talk about and, like, think about, you know? Like, Yeah. Yeah, I think sexuality is very, like, tough when it comes to, like, Latinos, and I feel like I wish it w- wouldn't be like that. And I guess, like, to move on, uh, how can we change these societal societal pressures so that it won't affect the youth in the future? How can we change these thoughts? I think the best thing is that, like, a lot of these pressures and, like, viewpoints, they're very dated. Like, people, like the youth really need to know, like, just because this old one person, this one old person says something... That was like 60 years ago. Just let it go, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. feel free to be yourself. Yeah. And it's really just like, just like, um, just stop spreading like, like hate in general. Like, I feel like even if you like don't hate like a certain, like, you know, if you feel like you don't, like just like hating in general, like I feel really like, um, 
just like disliking or just being negative like really like pushes agendas that you're not really directing yourself towards you know like i mean like you'll say like i don't know something like backhanded you you don't think it's like that that much you know like like but it it really does like cause like a butterfly effect and people will start to think about it you know like if you say something like like oh like we shouldn't wear this or something like that then you'll somebody will maybe will just think about that for the rest of your life you know like you never know what like something that you say will like have an effect on people you know so just like become a more positive person honestly yeah and i think like not only being positive but like if you do like have certain viewpoints or like if you don't want to pass these on to your kids like literally just like like read learn like watch everything like you can about different people different like cultures different perspectives different lifestyles like whatever you can because like knowledge is power and like the more you learn the more you understand the more compassion you can show and so and then also like when you have kids like my kids oh no i'm gonna be like we're like i'm gonna break this chain in my family like right here Mm -hmm. it's just like i'm not gonna pass it along i want to like show my kids like love and everything Mm -hmm. definitely i love how you said that knowledge is powerful because i feel like it really is and i feel like that's how we get like that's how we learn everything and I guess it's just really sad to see that, like, a lot of the older generations are, like, upset or, like, almost ashamed of, like, learning because they, they don't want to, like, grow past these cycles. But it's something that we really should be doing. Yeah. And, you know, like, you know, like, knowledge is power. And, like, this little topic, so I'm just going to mention it real quick. Like, that's why, like, that's why there's all these book bans. It's just, like... It's like they're taking away all those perspectives, all the things you can learn about. They're like literally trying to erase it. It's like because they know if the younger generations, like they learn, they read these books, they're going to have more compassion. They're going to have different viewpoints and they don't like that. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Do any of you have any messages for the next generations that are coming up? Be yourself. (laughs) Uh, Be who you are for your pride. (laughs) Yeah, I had a talk with, uh, shout out to Diego. I had talked to him like two days ago. We had a deep conversation and he said, just be who you are, you know, just keep living day by day. Don't don't uh, think what other people think. And I think, you know, that kind of stuck with me. So, (laughs) yeah, just like, don't be afraid to like, um, like sometimes also just get off social media sometimes, like just turn that phone off, (laughs) like. Like, it really, it really affects you. Like, even though if you feel like, oh, I'm just scrolling, I'm just, like, looking through things, like, you're going to run into, like, like things that, like, affect you, you know? Like, you're going to start comparing yourself, and it's just not healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to build off of that. One time I had a break from social media for a month. I deleted all social media accounts. It's literally the best feeling ever. Like, my mental state was so much more improved, and I really think that we should... I know a lot of people focus on like, oh, we need to take a break from social media, but like actually really do try it. It actually is really beneficial. It's great. Mm -hmm. What about you, Jasmine? Um, Well, like going off what Angel said, like, no, like if you notice, like you scroll on social media, like you get like, there's like all the nice fluffy stuff like the algorithms have for you. And then like once they like run out of things to show you, like it just gets so dark so quickly. (laughs) I'm like, how did I get here? Like this is, this is problematic. And then like, that's when I'm like, and it's, it's time for a break. It's time for a break. I'm going to get off of insert app here. Um, But yeah. It'll be like, what are you doing with your life? Yeah. Get up on the floor. Like, like, or what's that one? Well, I'm going off topic. I won't go. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think that's something that I might have to try out. I guess something that I want to do now is uh, take a break. Um, thank you all for being so raw and honest about these things. I know that they were not the easiest to talk about, but getting your voices heard is so important, especially when wanting to advocate for spaces like this. Coming up next, we'll listen into a conversation on cultural and societal pressure with Odette, a Latina therapist. We hope this conversation will allow other youth and 
to understand that these types of issues do not have to be dealt with alone, and that it is okay to break away from the norms that have been implemented for many generations. Even though being the black sheep in the family can come with a lot of guilt and shame, it is important that someone does it to break the cycles. After the interview with Odette, we'll be talking about some weird food combos. Hang on tight. What's up? You're listening to WLPN LP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpin Radio, broadcasting live from Studio Bree in Bridgeport. My name is Angel, and I'm here with Jasmine, Ariandi, and Eileen, and welcome to our second hour of The Shameless Show. In the first hour, we talked about guilty pleasures and the factual truths behind them, as well as our own. We listened to Eileen's audio piece about self-image and talked about our own experiences. And we tuned in into Jasmine's audio piece all about shamed and talked about why we should be shameless. We closed off the first hour with a deep dive conversation about cultural slash societal pressure. And we're going to continue off the conversation by focusing on an interview with Odette Rivera, a bilingual slash bicultural mental health counselor and a member of Avanza. We hope you enjoy. This is going to be like a judge-free show. It's about shamelessness and like the different things that we've seen like in society, but like Latinos in particular. And like, that's what we're interested in hearing from you because like, we know that there's like a lot of stigmas in Latino families. But to start off, we'll, we'll start off easy. Um, uh, can you tell us your name and pronouns and just a little bit about yourself and just like a background? Yes. So my name is Odette Ojeda Rivera. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And I am... Mexican-American. I grew up in Little Village uh, and I am a mental health counselor. I have a master's in um, clinical psychology counseling practice and I focus on working with communities of color, in particular Latino. I saw when I was in in my master's program that there was really a need for counselors of color and Latinos because there was a lot of injustice when it comes to the services that communities of color receive. So when I opened my practice, I said, you know what, I'm going to focus on this. I don't know if it's going to be more challenging than that, but I decided to go this route and I'm very happy that I did. Yeah, we definitely need a lot more like support, like in Latino communities or just like in communities of color. So like, we're glad that you're here and that you're like serving these communities. Oh, thank you. I, I am so happy to connect with you guys and you guys being young Latinos. And I mean, it just makes me uh, warm and fussy all over. <laughs> uh, so building off of that question, did you always want to become a therapist? I always did since high school. So I went to Curie High School and um, I I was always very interested in human behavior. And that, that's since, yeah, since like freshman, sophomore year high school, that's what I always wanted to do. And then could you specify like what 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 therapy you specialize in and like why you decided to go in it specifically? What therapy I specialize in? Yes. Okay, so um I specialize in trauma counseling. I decided to go that route because I believe I mean I have my own trauma that I had to overcome. And um I just I don't know, I'm very passionate about learning about the hardships that people go through, but also being part in the part of the process of people becoming very resilient, seeing the survival, um, the survival instinct of people when it comes to everything that we go through, right? We go humans, I mean, we're able to go through very difficult events and our survival instinct kicks in and you know, we we were able to go through the unimaginable. So I love being part of that 
uh, in people's journeys in life. So you mentioned that uh, when you were going to school and everything, you noticed how there was a lack of like therapy and counselor resources for like people of color. Uh, did you have like any doubts about going into this field or like get overwhelmed, like any type of like imposter syndrome or something like that? Imposter syndrome, definitely. Funny enough, what really helped me was, if I can talk a little bit about politics, what really helped me personally was the experience of the 2016 election when Trump got elected. And I went from feeling um, shame, since we're talking about shame, you know, there's always this, am I American enough? Am I Mexican enough? You know, all this confusion about our culture. And when when Trump got elected, I was like, you know what, I'm going to talk and I'm going to talk loud and I'm going to help my community and see what I can do. Not focus so much on what I can do globally, but what I can do in my community. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to speak. I was always ashamed of my accent. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to talk. I'm going to speak loud and I'm going to speak with my accent and I'm not going to get rid of it. I'm really proud. So that was actually, it was kind of a form of... Um, rebellion against what was going on uh, politically and socially. And I think that's when I was, my internal dialogue was like, no, you know what, I am good enough as an undocumented child, as an immigrant, as a person, as a, as a girl that grew up in Little Village with like gang violence, I came to school in Pilsen. So I was, I decided to make note of all these challenges that I went through and use them as strengths to work with our community. So like you mentioned, obviously, like the 2016 election, how did you break away from cultural expectations without experiencing any shame? I, you know what, I cannot say that I didn't experience any shame. I think that I experienced shame. As a counselor, I try not to talk too much about, but I try not to talk about my experience, but I think in this dialogue, it's important to talk about our, our experience. I I was very much going through the the nuances of societal expectations before I got married. I got I had children. I because I thought you know I thought that's what I was expected to do. Um, when I was growing up Latina, it was never if you decide to get married, if you decide to have kids, it was always hey when you get married and when you have kids. So you know I was like okay I guess this is what I'm supposed to be doing, which landed me in a in a marriage where there was domestic. I think it took anger for me not to feel ashamed. I mean, anger is an awesome, awesome um, emotion because anger lets us know when someone's crossing boundaries and it gives us the energy and the strength to act. So when I got sick and tired of uh, domestic the domestic violence that I was going through, I was like, you know what? That's it. I'm angry. I don't care what anybody says. My family was actually very supportive. But the cultural expectations, I mean, I was told, oh, you failed because now you're you're divorced and you're a single mom of three, you know? So I was like, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't care about what people think. I'm going to do my thing and not listen to society. So yeah, when people said like, you're, you failed, it's just, it is fracasada. Because I was divorced, I was like, you know what? No, actually, this, this is pretty awesome. And I was, I feel proud of myself. So I think it took anger. And then after that, I, being a single mom of three, I, um, I decided to go back to school. I got my associates, my bachelor's, my master's, and did my thing. And I, I didn't think I was, I was so against like cultural expectations. I was like, I'm never gonna get married again. But fortunately enough, I, I was able to find a partner, a husband who is very supportive, and, and he empowers me a lot. And he's not so. He's 
not stuck in cultural expectations. That's my my life in a nutshell. And you mentioned anger. A lot of people are shameful to like have anger inside, like have anger issues. Could you like expand on that? Like how anger could be used for positivity? Oh, absolutely. I tell my clients, anger is such an awesome feeling. And it's very misunderstood. The problem is not feeling anger. The problem is what we do with anger, how we react with it. Because we're not taught sometimes to express anger. We're taught not to even show anger, not to say that we're angry. We don't learn what to do with our anger. We don't, we learn not to communicate it, right? Anger, what it does, when we feel angry, our, our body creates energy. And we feel angry when someone is crossing a boundary, usually when someone is disrespecting us, make us feel, making us feel bad about ourselves, being abusive. We're not taught how to use that energy. We end up yelling and punching or whatever. The awesome thing is that we can use that energy to set boundaries, to walk away, to communicate. I'm angry. You, you're making me angry. You're disrespecting me. So use that anger, use that energy that anger brings us to stop somebody from crossing our boundaries. That's a really cool thing about anger, that we get energy from it. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that like there seems to be like some type of stigma behind like negative emotions, but like those are like emotions as well that like let us see a lot into like what we're feeling and like they, they let us know about like those boundaries, like you mentioned. We have to remember that sometimes. It is hard for Latinos, especially in our families, to even set any boundaries. You know, when a white therapist might tell you like, oh, your mom does that, set boundaries. A Latino mom is going to be like, boundaries? Like, what are you talking about? I'm the mom. You do what I say. You know, like there's in, in Latino families, often there is there are no boundaries. There's no privacy. There's no boundaries. So yes, I talk a lot about boundaries, but always being mindful that it's not always possible. And, and our, our Latino moms, our Latino dads, grandparents, y la, la tía chismosa, whatever, they're not going to understand what a boundary is. So we cannot go to them with this white mental health, you know, thing. We're like, I'm going to set a boundary with my mom. So I work a lot of like, how can we be cognizant of our culture and yes, set set boundaries, but understanding that it's not going to be the same as a white family, for example. Yeah, and I think that there's definitely a difference. How you mentioned that, like, there's a difference between like white clinicians versus like clinicians that are like of color. And I guess I'm just wondering, um, do you think that like being Latino or Latinx is like affecting your work in like particular way? Do you think that it's like very different from like white counterparts or like clinicians in, like in general? I think that my approach being a Latina clinician is that. I always bring culture into the counseling. I am very uh, cognizant and my colleagues seem to be very cognizant too because I have a, a big network of Latino counselors and we're all connected. We're very aware of the role that culture plays in our mental health and how we exist in the society. You know, we come to a country where the systems were not built for us and we're, we're expected expect to survive. And even if you're American born, you're seen as other. I think that most of us are very aware that you have to talk about culture in our place in society yeah and i definitely think that that ties into identity politics and like that realizing that we're all so different from each other and more than just like one single person we're more than just latino so i think that's definitely bringing that in is like very important so i appreciate that you do that in your work is there any key practices that you do in your work as a latina do you bring anything from your own past so like your own learned experiences and have you brought that into your own work so let's say that you used to do something when you were younger and you were like oh that's like really helpful like do you bring that into your work today Absolutely. Okay. There's, there's, and I, I was thinking because there's two answers to that question. As a clinician, I don't self-disclose. 
So I don't talk so much about my experiences. For example, I find myself working a lot with people that have gone through domestic violence. The rule of thumb is I don't share anything, even if I may relate with what they're saying. And I and I say like inside, I'm like, oh my God, I went through that too. When it comes to, in my journey, the skills that I have learned on my own, even before being a clinician, I share those without saying like, oh, look, I used to do this. Or, so I use the tools that I've learned through my life experiences, relaxation techniques, um, self-advocacy techniques, things that I, that I learned on my own in my life journey. And yes, I use those to teach my clients. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Thank you. So like for me, I've never had therapy. So could you like share like what the process of therapy look like? looks like and like how do you get about it do you like have any key practices you implement into your work that you think that you would do differently compared to others as of recently funny enough i have my practice has been taking in a lot more men clients and most of them are very young so i'm very very excited to see that change counseling pretty much is a very safe you you develop a very safe and open and non-judgmental relationship with your therapist i tell my clients you know what i've heard it all there's nothing that you can say that will skip. This is a judgment-free zone. There's, I'm not going to judge you. It's not my job to judge you. I always tell them too, don't do extra work. Don't think that you have to prepare for counseling. A lot of people say, oh my God, what am I going to, what am I going to talk about today? Nothing happened this week. What am I going to talk? That's our job. Our job is to help you explore. Even when you feel like you have nothing to say, there's always like really cool conversations that come about. So yeah, I tell my clients, don't prepare. Be yourself. Come as you are. The dynamic of communication and the relationship of counselor and client is one that is safe and open. And it serves to teach the client what a healthy relationship is. And we hope that whatever skills, the communication skills, relationship skills you learn in this relationship, in the client-therapist relationship, you use that for your relationships outside of therapy. I tell my clients something that I learned from a mentor, a white mentor, a white uh, clinician who was a big ally of our community. She taught me to say to say to my clients when, when they first come into the intercession you have the right to be treated with dignity and respect and that's because a lot of people especially people of color people of lower socioeconomic status sometimes you don't hear it so if i have a client that cry in that part where i say you know this is your space this is it's all about you this is your time and space here you have the right to be treated with dignity and respect you have the right to complain if you feel like you i do anything that crosses a boundary or you find unethical you have the right to complain you can complain to me or there is a board of counselors where you can file a formal complaint and before like why are you even telling me that? I'm like, you deserve to know. You know, it's a system that we don't know as Latinos. It's, counseling is something very new and we need to know our rights. And it's my right, no, it's my right, it's my responsibility to give my clients the tools, even if I might be put at risk or my license could be put at risk, right? But I know that it also holds me accountable to do the best and most ethical work that I can with my clients. I always say, I'm a runner. So I say, therapists are like running shoes. You know, our job is to support you in the marathon of life i know that sounds cheesy but <laughs> you know one shoe is not worse than the other it's just we all have different feet we have different you know bodies so you have to find the therapist that is not going to give you blisters doesn't mean that one is better than the other one that's how i educate my client too my clients in the first session i also tell them you know i hope to be the right therapist for you if i'm not feel free to let me know and use me as a tool to direct you to the right type of therapist for you 
you're not breaking up with me. It's not a, it's not that kind of relationship. Even though some people say like, how do I break up with my therapist? It's not personal. You know, I'm actually very proud when a client advocates for themselves and, you know, they might tell me like, you know what, Odette, I think I, I want to try something different, a different type of therapist. Like, awesome. I'm proud of you for saying that. You're advocating for yourself. Let's sit down and see what do you want? What do you want in the therapist? And think race, gender, language, culture, sexual identity, approach. Do you want someone that's more structured and then i think like cbt you want something someone that's more open so there's when it comes to types of counseling there's a lot of course it's not the client's work to know it's my job it's our job as therapists to help the client find it without getting into all the nuances of all the differences and whatever i just our job is to find out what is what they want and who they can relate to and then help yeah, thank you so much for that. Prior to getting into therapy myself, I didn't know about like the wide variety of different services available. So I'm like glad to hear that like you're also like telling your patients that. You also mentioned that like it's not the job of the patient or like the the person to like know these things. So I'm wondering like what type of resources like if any do you have or like if you have anything that you might be able to like tell like the people listening. For example, in in about counseling, it's not their job to know all the all the stuff about counseling. It's not their job to know, oh, there's CBT, there's this, there's that, there's Gestalt, there, whatever. You know, that's my job. But when it comes to resources, I I use I give a lot of resources when it comes to skills that they can practice, organizations they can get help in or with. Before I started my private practice, I I did a lot of work in community mental health. So I volunteered at Mujeres Latinas en Acción for uh, Pills and Wellness Center and most recently at um, Metropolitan Family Services. I did school-based counseling and I also did um, domestic violence counseling. So that gave me a big number of resources when it comes to community organizations, even if it's like a pro bono legal assistance, not just mental health, but like food pantries, government assistance programs, pro bono attorneys, pro bono immigration attorney, pro bono child custody attorneys, legal advocates. I do my job in to that extent that I'm like, oh, wait, you know what? You might find this resource helpful. Yeah, for sure. I definitely say that those types of things are important as well. I think that there's so many things that like people can offer and I'm glad to hear that you do those things for your clients. How do you get into therapy when you're Latino? Because I know that there's a huge stigma around that and we kind of touched base on it like earlier, but I know that there's like a lot of um, stigmas and like things that like might prevent Latino from getting therapy. So how do you do it? Like, how do you overcome that? From my experience working with clients, I see that many of them get to a point where they're like, okay, that's enough. Like, I need to do something about this. Latinos, we are such hard workers and we are so, I mean, we go through experiences of like immigration, coming to a system that, a system that we don't understand, we get jobs, we live in, in a society where we don't even speak the language or know the system. So we really value doing it on your own. We're also really good, like with our communities, but we're like, Trabaja duro, echa, échale ganas, always, échale ganas, échale ganas. And that saying, that mentality of échale ganas can be interpreted also as don't get help, don't go to a therapist, échale ganas. <laughs> so um, it makes me laugh because I'm like, no, it's mental health is not about échale ganas only, you know, you really need the support. Uh, I've experienced a lot of uh, seeing my clients get to a point where, to a breaking point where like, you know what, leche ganas, I gave it my all, but I, I need help. So I think it gets to that point for them to to look for counseling. Also, what I'm seeing now a lot of is people that have Latinos that have gone to counseling and then they tell their friends about it or their family about it. And then all of a sudden 
mom hears or sees a positive change and then mom looks for services for herself. I actually have um, male clients where one male client sought sought um services and he was very like kind of embarrassed and kind of uh he's like i don't know what i'm gonna get from this but i'm gonna give it a try because i don't know what else to do and then all of a sudden he was telling his buddies about it after being experiencing that shame you know that personal shame all of a sudden he felt so good that he told he told his friends about it and then his friends started seeking services too yeah adding on to like the the male like community like the Latino community is really affected by the like the machoism ideology. Like it creates ideas that are not true, and it assigns like certain stereotypes to women slash men, saying such as like "act like a man" can add to this ideology. Do you think this is why it's harder to talk about it, especially like for men? Absolutely, I think that talking about feelings, even when we were when we we're little, um, is seen as something that is not manly. It's either for women or members of the LGBTQ plus community. It's crazy. Machismo, we always see it as, or we often see it as something that affects women negatively. But machismo also hurts men because they're they're not giving that opportunity to talk about their feelings. Like that's it's stealing from their experience as humans. There's nothing that breaks my heart more than, you know, seeing a, a little boy and then sad or angry or mainly sad because sadness is seen as uh, as a weak emotion. Their dad or mom telling him, No llores, sea un hombrecito. Emotions don't have a they don't have a gender. So machismo can definitely be harmful for men too. And it gets to a point where a man feels frustrated or is affecting his family life or his health. You know, we see a lot of uh, Latino men experiencing heart attacks, strokes, and that's all the emotions that they're like holding in and not communicating, not expressing. Emotions are going to come out one way or another. Either you talk them out or you're going to have physical symptoms. You're going to have headaches. You're going to have heart attacks. You're going to get diabetes. You're going to have back pain, neck pain. So emotions are always going to come out or you even become angry. We also see a lot of abuse when men are not able to express their emotions all of a sudden because they don't, they can talk about emotions and they come and they yell at their kids. Not just men, women do that. Oh, everybody does that. If we're not allowed to express our emotions, then we're going to take it on someone. So uh, feelings always come out one way or another. So counseling is about communicating those, like letting them out in a, in a healthy way. I definitely think that that's like something to take into consideration. I feel like there is so many things like factors that come into like therapy and like these big type of spaces. And I guess I'm wondering, like it was kind of mentioned how like your the family that you might be with is like has an effect on like the types of like things you do for yourself. So like getting into therapy. So I'm wondering if like there's some older issues that like are passed on or like trauma like that are that is passed on from like down to like one generation to the next. And I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about that. Oh, yes. I love this topic, Sophia. Intergenerational trauma. Trauma that is passed from generation to generation. This is a, a broad topic because trauma can be transferred from generation to generation in many different ways. One of them is genetic. For example, we say when, when someone is pregnant, we say don't get mad or whatever because you're going to pass it to your baby. Surprising thing about this is that a mom can transfer trauma to a child from even before she was pregnant. For example, if something happened that it was very stressful, that it was a traumatic event for mom, what happens in our body is is that there's something called cortisol that gets elevated in our system. 
system. So if we experience a lot of trauma, a lot of stress, we learn to live with that level of cortisol very high for extended period of time, which changes our DNA. So then maybe the mom is not experiencing the trauma anymore. The mom has a child. That DNA now is in so you might see a, an anxious child or a depressed child or a child that misbehaves a lot. That's one way that it can be transferred. And it can be, that's from generation to generation to generation. So you have to remember that we come from countries and from a culture that was, that was colonized. We were enslaved. So our community has gone through trauma for many generations, from colonization to even the way that some of our community members immigrate to the country. Some of them can be very traumatic. So all of those can be, can affect our DNA and they can get transferred from generation to generation. Another way that it can be transferred is with the attitudes. For example, talking about colonization, since we were colonized, what happened is that our people when they became slaves they learned or they were forced to put their head down work hard put your head down and work hard does that sound familiar we're still doing that right those are attitudes that we learn all the way back from colonialism and we're still practicing that put your head down don't say anything and work hard so that's another way that it can be transferred there's also a very it can also be transferred with patterns for example domestic violence is one of the things that we see as a pattern in families another one is for example suicide there's families that you know there's one suicide and all of a sudden there's three or four suicides in multiple generations yeah domestic violence we see if grandma was a victim of or was a survivor of domestic violence all of a sudden the child or it might skip a generation and we see grandchild go through the same experience so it's it's learned it's through values is through dna it's, so it's, it can get very complicated i think this is why it's very important to talk about and to learn about our history not only as a family but as a culture you know a lot of families think especially latino families Oh, no, 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 don't talk about that. That's a secret. Nobody can know that so-and-so maybe was a victim of rape. Unless we have to keep it a secret. But what they don't know is that unconsciously, they are raising the possibilities that those events are going to happen again and again and again in the family. I find that a lot of my clients are cycle breakers. Being a cycle breaker can be very difficult. Being a cycle breaker is that one person in the family that says, wait, this is not right. For some reason, you know, because we, we tend to follow the patterns, but for some reason, that person was like, oh, no, wait, guys, this is messed up. We have to do something about it. And then they come to counseling. And being a cycle breaker can be very difficult, very challenging, because sometimes the family can be against the change of the system, the family system that has been passed off from generation to generation. So those cycle breakers can often be deemed the black sheep. And I love the black sheep because they really, they uh, challenge the system. Even the ones that act out, you know, why are they acting out? Is, are they acting out because they're reacting to a system that is not healthy for them? I never knew that it was like genetics based. That is bonkers to learn. Mm -hmm. Super interesting. Yeah, I guess just to start like finalizing our conversation here, I guess one of the final things that I'm wondering is you mentioned that like being the black sheep in the family can come with like a lot of that extra load on your back. And I guess I'm wondering how do you overcome that? How do you, how do you become the black sheep without feeling that shame or feeling that sense of guilt? Oh, that's such a, I, I wish I had a, I wish I had a, a magic wand to prevent that that black sheep to not experience shame this really reminds me of we've all seen Encanto right we've all seen Encanto and Encanto was such a helpful tool for many clinicians I'm going to talk about my experience as a clinician because it really helped me work with Latino families and Latino clients in the movie Encanto there's one family member that's a black sheep he gets ousted from the family he feels like he has to run away from the family remember that character Bruno I mean they didn't even talk about Bruno that's the type of black sheep that he was considered to be so he gets ousted and unfortunately Unfortunately, in a lot of families, that's what happens. I think that 
what we do in counseling. Of course, we would like to, we would like for the family to understand one day. Some families do, some families don't. But we work a lot on self-love and self-respect and self-dignity and self-compassion. Maybe your family cannot give you what you need. How can you build a support system that can be healing for you? Maybe maybe you have friends, maybe you have community, maybe you have organizations, you know, and your counselor is part of that system. That's a difficult question, Sophia, because unfortunately some, some families don't stick together. When that doesn't happen, my job as a therapist is to help the client self-explore and, and build those skills of self-compassion and self-love and self-respect so he's able to walk away knowing that they are doing whatever's best for them. Yeah, I think it's important to like realize that life isn't like completely black and white. There's so much gray space in between it. There's so much more and it's like so complex. Yes, very complex. Well, I am very proud of you guys for hearing this conversation. I think that your your generation gets very misunderstood. And I think that you guys are doing such a good job of bringing inclusivity to the to the world, of bringing uh, social justice, bringing this, bringing these conversations on mental health. I love how open your generation is about mental health. You're teaching older generations. I've had families where the children bring their parents to family counseling. So it is amazing and I'm very proud of you and I hope I hope that it has a ripple effect in our community. I think that sometimes we are focused on what we can do globally, but it's the small things that we do within our communities, within Little Village, Pilsen, the southwest side of Chicago. Those are the things that are really going to heal our community. Thank you for bringing this this conversation to the world. Yeah, no, thank you for the in-depth answers. Ah, uh, thank you, so Angel. Much. Thank you, Angel. It was my pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate everything that you had to bring to the table today. And it's like really important that we have these conversations. So like, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, guys. We just finished listening to an interview with Odette Rivera, a mental health counselor and member of Avanza. Thank you to Angel and Sophia for hosting that interview. Hey guys, and welcome back to the food eating segment. It's difficult to talk about food without feeling shameful when we bring up something particularly off-putting. Or sometimes, cultural foods that may seem like everyday meals to us will not be received as well as we thought. So, to introduce my next piece, I'll be asking some of you, some of the crew to try some controversial food combinations and let us know what they think. You're listening to What's Up on WLPN LP Lumpin' Radio Chicago. Hmm. Do you like to eat eggs with ketchup, bananas with rice, yeah, yeah, ice cream yeah. with fries? Oh yeah. Me too. Yeah. But how do these food combinations fare with the general public? Mm. Never really thought about My that. name is Ariandi, and today <gasps> I will be sharing with you a few controversial food combos. Mm. Okay, Along okay. with that, I will be asking some participants if they would be willing to try ah. some of these combos and recording their reactions. Mm. I'm excited. It should be noted that a lot of these controversial food combos are rooted in cultural customs from different countries mm, and shouldn't true, be shamed true, upon even though they may differ from western food. Mm. So please keep an open mind and maybe try these food combinations for yourself. Ah. First up, we got ice cream with fries. This classic treat mm, actually originated yummy. in Chicago. An article from Plague quotes, Chicago, Philip Foss of Chicago. Chicago's EL Ideas first saw his daughter dip their french fries into a Wendy's Frosty. He didn't realize it would inspire what became a signature dish that would evolve through four incarnations over 10 years four. at his Michelin-starred restaurant. Michelin. I want to thank Sophia for trying this tasty snack and sharing her opinion with us. Hey guys, this is Sophia Pedro and I just took a trip to McDonald's. Today I'm going to be trying a McFlurry and french fries. I'm hoping that it tastes good, but I'm also not sure. I like both separate, but I don't know about together. So, 
First thing we gotta do is mix up the McFlurry. Okay, now that it's all mixed up, I'm gonna dip a french fry into the Oreo McFlurry. I'm hoping that it tastes good, but I guess here goes nothing. I'm gonna be completely honest. It's not that bad. It honestly just tastes like a french fry covered in Oreos. So, I guess it's not that bad, and I guess I, I don't know if I have a preference or, like, if I have anything negative to say about it. I would consider myself a fan now. Maybe I'll have to go and explore this more often. Would I recommend it to other people? I'm not sure about that. I guess that's to each their own, but I guess it's not that bad. So, if you have nothing else to do, you can go ahead and try it, and I think that's definitely, like, a cool thing to do. Like, go ahead and try new things. I guess I would rate this a 5 out of 5. I have nothing negative to say about it. This is just french fries covered in Oreos, basically. So, thank you so much. Back to you, Ariandi. Thank you, Sophia, for trying this new combination for us, and I'm glad you enjoyed it. Next up, Jasmine will be trying bananas with rice. Bananas with rice can be found everywhere across the world, and places like Puerto Rico, mashed deep fried plantains, or tostones are very popular and can be served with a lot of different entrees. In Southeast Asia, particularly in Thailand, kao tong is a sweet cake made from steaming sweet coconut rice and bananas in a large banana leaf. These are just some of the many ways people mix both of these ingredients to create something entirely new and delicious. Hi, my name is Jasmine, and for the Shameless Show, I decided to try rice and bananas. Um, so it's exactly what it sounds like. It's just white rice with some bananas I just sliced up and put on top of it. I'm a little, like, I'm a little scared to try it because I've seen this on, like, Disney Channel's Pass the Plate growing up, and back then I was like, ew, that looks weird, like, you know, but then when I think about it, I literally eat, like, rice and sweet tostones all the time, and it's probably the same flavor. I'm just worried about the texture of the bananas because when I fry paparumanduros, it's different. You know, like there's grease, they're hot, and this is hot rice with cold bananas. So, I don't know how I'm going to feel about that. So, I'm going to try it now. So, like I said earlier, like, it's just basically like white rice with platano maduro, pero... This is just a normal banana, just a really ripe banana. I make sure to grab a really sweet one with the brown spots. So that's what it reminds me of. Um, I would say I'm a fan of it. But I don't like how all the bananas are cold and the, and the rice is hot. So either I'll wait for my rice to cool down next time or I'll warm up my banana. Like I won't microwave it, but I'll just like put it near the rice as I'm cooking it. So that way it won't be so hot and cold. Because that's the only thing that's really throwing me off here. I don't think I'll have this often, like, cause, I don't know. Although it's good, it's like still like the textures, um, not the best thing in the world to me. But I would recommend this to other people. It is pretty good. Like the slightly saltiness of the rice that uh, goes well with the sweetness of the bananas. I would recommend getting a sweet banana like I did. It has like a bunch of brown spots and like a little bruise and it was perfect. Part of me wants to know how this would taste with the ketchup because I used to eat white rice with ketchup growing up, so oh, maybe that's a little too close of a food combination, but I would like to try it. 
this is about five minute later jasmine and maybe i lied to myself maybe i will be eating this in the future because i stopped recording and then decided to finish the food and i actually really began to enjoy it like i finished the whole bowl which i didn't think i would i thought maybe eventually i would get tired of the bananas and pick them off the rice and just finish my white rice plain but i ate the whole bowl and i actually enjoyed it so who knows anyway that's all from me bye Hopefully you guys are inspired to try some of these combinations so far. Thank you, Jasmine. Yeah, Next up, Eileen will be trying out Oreos with orange juice. Orange Sadly, juice. I couldn't find the source of this wonderful combination, mm -hmm. but some sources say it's actually better than Oreos dunked in milk. The milk just crumbles the cookie up, whereas orange juice makes the cookie soft and adds flavor. Mm, I guess that makes sense. So today I'm going to be trying the Oreo and orange juice combo. My main worry going into this is that I will genuinely enjoy this combination. <laughs> That's my biggest fear, that I'm actually going to taste this and think, you know, I could have this every now and then. But anyway, let's get into it. I have an Oreo and Target brand orange juice because the other one had pulp and I just, I don't think I want pulp on my Oreos. So without further ado, let's get into it. All right, moment of truth. I'm picking up the Oreo and I've dipped it into the orange juice. Now, I don't know how you guys like to eat Oreos. I like for it to sog up. <laughs> I'm actually scared. Okay. Okay, here we go. Oh my God. Wait. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I can describe exactly how this tastes like. Okay, it's the blonde Oreos. You know the vanilla Oreos? That's exactly what this tastes like. Specifically, the ones from Aldi that comes in that like variety pack where there's like the vanilla and chocolate ones. It tastes like the vanilla ones. Like it actually tastes exactly like that. It's not the worst flavor. It's just, you know, hold on. <laughs> yeah. The Oreo overpowers the orange juice. You could barely taste the orange juice. But... It tastes exactly like those vanilla knockoff Oreos from Aldi. That is exactly what that tastes like. Um, am I a fan? For the moment, I am. I would say that in this moment, I'm a fan, sure. Am I going to grab another Oreo and dip it back in and eat it? Probably no. No. I think I'm just going to swap this out for a cup of milk. That's all I would change about the combination. I would swap out the orange juice for milk. <laughs> That's it. It tastes exactly like a vanilla Oreo. Those are my thoughts. Do I feel like I would have this often? Probably not. Um, that is my two cents. Finally, would I recommend it to other people? If you're willing to try it out for fun. Thank you again, Eileen, for sharing us your recommendation. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Hmm. Coming up next, we have Angel trying out cornflakes with Coke. This combination is a bit of a wild card because it was actually Jasmine who brought up the fact that their first grade teacher would have this on a regular basis. So sadly we have no information of the origins of this interesting mixture. It is currently pouring outside, so why not uh, staying inside enjoying a nice meal of cornflakes and Pepsi. Uh, so let's see how this goes. To be completely honest, I'm not the biggest fan of cornflakes, but it's better than frosted flakes, which is going to be uh, a sugar overdose. Oh, that's a lot. Oh my god, I did not need that much. Um, let's get the Pepsi here. Uh, ice cold Pepsi. Yippee. 
Oh wow, here, oh my goodness. I poured way too much. Crap. Alright, so I got the finished product here. Um, so, cornflakes and Pepsi going in. Wow. Um. Huh. Let me get another bite. Hang on. Wow, this is this is actually ain't too bad. I'm a, I'm gonna be completely honest. With you. It kind of has like a like like a really unique flavor to it for the first bite, and then it just takes like cornflakes afterwards. Every bite I every like bite I take though, I fear for my health really bad. But this is actually not too bad. It's really good. I wouldn't recommend eating it though. Thing I do notice, oh my god, I can't believe I'm actually gonna like eat this whole thing. One thing I do notice is compared to milk, which takes some time to get soggy, uh, the frosted flakes just not frosted flakes, the corn flakes immediately just got soggy, so like that texture isn't really there. But it's honestly not too bad, I just don't see why you would want to eat it. So I'm not going to finish this bowl because I poured myself way too much and it's a bit unhealthy, but actually I would give this food, honest food review. This is like a solid eight out of 10. Uh, the combinations of flavors, uh, I wouldn't say they mix well, but they're just there. Um, the Pepsi tastes like Pepsi. The cornflakes taste like cornflakes and together they kind of taste all right, but yeah, not as bad as I thought it would be, and um, I think I got lucky on this one, I'll be completely honest, I wonder what everyone else's experiences were like, but yeah, that's it from me, this is Cornflakes and um, Pepsi signing off. Thank you Angel for your very thorough review. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to this fun segment and hopefully you feel inspired to try some of these food combinations for yourself. Or maybe after listening to this you'll feel motivated to try out a new food that you've been avoiding. I mean, how nastier can it get than Pop-Tarts with yellow plastic cheese? Thank you again for listening. Until next time! Alright, thank you guys for being willing to try something new. I really appreciate taking your time out of your day to try this crazy food combinations. Um, so I have a few questions for you guys. Um, did you guys crave your combo days after trying it? No. <laughs> no. No. I just completely forgot about it, to be honest. <laughs> um, I, I craved mine a little bit. Like, because um, like I said in the thing, like it was kind of like just like Patrona Maduro. So afterwards, I was like, dang, like, do I want another bowl? I, I was, <laughs> I felt some type of way about that. I'm like, no, I can't be craving this. I didn't crave it days after, but I did, like, have, like, another couple of fries with the ice cream afterwards, like, right after. For sure, for sure. Um, what would you change about the combo that might make you like it a bit more? Like, I would get flavored Pepsi next time, because I just had regular Pepsi. I think, like, for some more extra flavor, get, like, cherry Pepsi or diet. Okay, maybe not diet, but, like, <laughs> diet just, like, like, a flavored variant. Okay. 
Diet Pepsi make a little bit healthier. But it was plain cornflakes, right? It was plain. Maybe take it an extra mile, get frosted no. flakes. Oh, that and diet <laughs> <laughs> The they sugar can... overdose is going to go crazy. Go no. crazy or get Fruit Loops with marshmallows. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Lucky Charms with Pepsi. Ooh. Oh, that was not That sounds horrible. Maybe with Dr. Pepper. What if Dr. we just do a radio <laughs> show, just cereal with milk? And uh, not my milk, but soda. Just the entire thing. Real talk, guys. Do you guys put the milk first and then the cereal? It's the cereal first, then the yeah, milk. Yeah, it's the cereal yeah. first, then the milk. Okay. As, as, as you guys should know. <laughs> All right, final cereal question. You guys wait for it to get soggy or just like chow down instantly? I chow yeah. down instantly. I, mm. I don't instantly. like it soggy. You don't like it no. soggy? Yeah, no. me either. It got to depend on the cereal. Like yeah. Captain Crunch, I can't do that. They're like, it's going to scrape inside my mouth. <laughs> oh, that is <laughs> true. But like Frosted Flakes, I'm gobbling them down. I can't, <laughs> that can't get soggy. <laughs> uh-huh. Very true, very true. And what are your favorite food combos? I'm a picky eater, so like I really okay, don't have anything. Okay. But like when I go to buffets, I dunk my French fries into mashed potatoes. It's just more potatoes, but like I don't know, it's just it's really just more potatoes. But it's just so good. When I was younger, I used to eat because Burger King used to have apple fries in their mm-hmm. Happy Meals. Yeah. I used to uh, have apple fries dipped in barbecue, so it was basically apple with barbecue sauce. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't tried that in like 10, 12 years, so I'm not sure how to try now, but. That was a favorite combo back then. That sounds good. I feel like I vaguely remember the apple fries, but yeah. Um, I got, I don't know if it's technically a combo. It's like more like it was failed buttercream frosting that turned into like a spread I have. Um, it's margarine with uh, strawberry extract and sugar. And it just, I now I just have it like in a little pot in the back of my fridge. And my friends like throw it out. I'm like, no, no, because you get that on some toast. It's just really sweet toast. It tastes like all these strawberry cream, um, cream cheese. That sounds really good. Yeah. I feel like I'm also a very picky eater. So like, I don't know, like I'm very picky about like the things I try. But like during Thanksgiving, something I do like doing, like Angel said, was like fries with like mashed potatoes. But I like during Thanksgiving, I like doing like a bread with mashed potatoes and then corn. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I'll add turkey on top, and it's, like, really good. really good. Um, I don't know if you guys know this combo. Like, do you guys have any, like, fast food hacks? Like, I don't know if you guys ever tried the high C from, from McDonald's and then mix it with the Sprite. It tastes really good. Oh, I at Culver's, I mixed the lemonade with the fruit punch, and it's, like, my favorite drink ever. Like, oh, yeah. it's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Arnold Palmer's, like, iced tea and lemonade. Oh, Arnold Palmer's so bomb. So good, yeah, they're really good. Do you guys have any fast food hacks? I don't. I, I usually just like go with like the number. Like I'll go with number one McDonald's and that's it. Mm. I have like a weird like I one meal I've eaten and then one I haven't, but I really wish I could, but it's not possible. Um it's like one is the shamrock shake with the McRib. Okay, because the McRib come back randomly. But then I really want to try the shamrock shake with the McRib and the holiday pie. But those aren't around at the same time. Yeah. Put them in the freezer. <laughs> yeah, it's like it sounds like such a cursed meal, but I'm dying to try it because I like the shamrock shake with the McRib. Yeah. So, um. Interesting. Okay, so now we have a couple. Um, we did a Vox Pop on the Olokali Instagram. And we are going to talk about some of the weird food combos or interesting food combos that some of the p- folks over on Yolokali had to say. So, let me bring up some of those. What do we think about Valentina with waffles? That's a no for me. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, somebody just said White Castle. <laughs> <laughs> no, because like, 
I don't know anyone who eats White Castle still. I'm going to be completely honest. I don't know how White Castle is open still. I love sliders. Money laundering. Hello? (laughs) I love White Castle. I'm with Ariandi. White Castle is good. I have not had it in years. That's why I'm like, I don't know anyone who eats it. Is it still still good? It's still good. They like got expensive, but like they're still good. You use the app, you get the Crave case on sale. (laughs) I'm paying against the Crave case, okay? (laughs) Because... I had I get the chicken rings. Those are so bomb. Yeah. But like that that was years ago. So I'm not sure how they still taste. Go back yeah. and try it. <laughs> White Castle trip after this. No, I'm just um, there's another one. Uh, somebody said bolillo with coke. What do you guys think? Like with the bolillo be alone? Like I feel like that's like questionable. Like I feel like I always have bolillos with like. Well, I guess if it's like a torta, then yes. Mm. But I don't know about just like the bread alone. I don't know because I feel like. Coke can be compared to coffee. Like, it's like a dark, like, drink with caffeine. You know what I mean? And it's also sometimes can be very sweet. Like, so I feel like if you had a bolillo, like, with coffee, I don't think twice about it. You know what I mean? I don't know. I feel like it's not, that sounds kind of good to me, if I'm being honest. I know in Mexico, I've seen, like, señoras, they'll have conchas with Coke. Like, that is Mm -hmm. fully what they do. They eat their conchas (laughs) with Coke. Like, they'll full on dip it or just, like, sip on it. Yeah. It's very questionable. I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. But you know, no shame. <laughs> There's another one that says um, white rice and ketchup. I know it's a very popular combination. I stand with that. I stand with the people who said that. Uh, that was my favorite thing growing up. Like I probably, I would probably still eat it today. Honestly, if I was bored. Yeah, true. <laughs> I feel like I've had rice with like ketchup and eggs, like as a breakfast. Mm-hmm. And like I've really enjoyed that, but I haven't had it forever. So maybe I should try it again. I just remember in, the, like, the school cafeteria, like, the school food, like, it would always be white rice, and it'd be so plain, so I would add ketchup. That's the only re- way I would have it, but, like, I would never have it at my house. But I guess you'd think about it, like, Mexican rice is just tomato sauce, and, you know, like, you're kind of already having it. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, let's see. Somebody said soup and banana. Okay, no shame to this person. I just need to know what kind of soup they are referring that to. Is true. Okay, that is true. like is this a tomato puree type of soup? Is this chicken noodle? Is this like miso? Because depending on that depends on my answer. I can't imagine eating like chicken noodle soup with bananas. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a no for me. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think I'd have it. But like, I don't know. I had a friend who would like eat bananas and hot Cheetos. And, like, they would eat a banana, like, bite it, and then put a hot Cheeto where they put the banana and then eat it. It was so (laughs) funny. (laughs) But, yeah, pretty nasty. I mean, uh, not nasty. It was pretty cool. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I mean, you know, it's like what we did. We tried these interesting food combos, and, you know, we thought they were a little weird, a little interesting, but we ended up liking them, you know, so you never know. You never know. Um, Let's see. What else do we got? Somebody said... Peanut butter with flour tortillas. What are your guys' thoughts? That sounds like I, it would be good. Yeah, it sounds like, um, yeah, it, it could be enjoyable. Yeah, I would mess that up. Not going to lie. I don't like peanut butter, so I don't think I would. What? Or like flour tortillas, I'm very picky about. Like, they have to be handmade. Oh, really? Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for handmade. For Wait, so like, if you don't mind me, like, have you tried peanut butter with like different combinations, like apples and peanut butter? Have you ever tried that? No, I only eat it with like chocolate. Oh, Wait, so like a Snickers bar. Oh yeah, I don't like um, like Reese's. Really, I do like that. Wait, really? Yeah. You don't like Reese's? I don't like Reese's. Oh, wow, okay. They're I mean, just too peanut yeah, butter for me. Yeah, I can oh. understand. Like sometimes it's like way too much, so mm. that's understandable. What about Reese's pieces? 
Neither. No, no, neither. Neither. Wow. I just like, don't like the taste. I don't know what it is. What about Reese's Puffs? Mm, I haven't had them in a minute. Okay. So I can't say. But yeah, but I, I do like peanut butter. That's interesting. I never really, I don't know. I feel like peanut butter is such a staple growing up. But I get it. I get it. It's really creamy. Yeah. Why do you like not like it in particular? I don't know. I feel like I have like a vivid memory of me having like peanut butter with beans and bread when I was younger. But I feel like I've asked my family about it and they said that I'm like that that's like something that I just made up. But I have like a vivid memory of it. Maybe but they're trying to cover up. Yeah. Like, they're, 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 they're like never mentioned this ever again. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I just have that vivid memory, but I also haven't tried it in forever. But like maybe I should try it again. Yeah. I don't know. Well, this one isn't somebody that somebody said, but have you guys ever tried um, tostadas with maruchan? Do you guys eat your maruchan with tostadas? No. I, I, that sounds good. Yeah. Like, that actually does, but like, I never tried it. Yeah, it actually surprised me because I've eaten them like that my whole life. And then when you go to like the Mexican grocery stores, like, you'll see the tostadas right next to the maruchan. And I'm like, that's for a reason. You're supposed <laughs> to eat them together. Like, but yeah. Do you guys have any other interesting food combos? I've no. never had maruchan with uh, tostadas, but I usually just have them with chips. Yeah, that too. Mm-hmm. Like, I've had them with like. Doritos Flamas, because they're kind of like like tortilla chips, you yeah. know? So, yeah, they're really good. That's a good combo right there. Um, let's see. Is there any other things that people are bringing up? Cereal and juice. What do you guys think? It's also a no for me. But, like, <laughs> so no. I can't imagine any juice. I just can't. Even if it's, like, you're eating cereal and, like, a cup of juice on the side, like, even for me, I feel like that's a no-go. Like, yeah. just milk and juice, like, orange juice. Like, that's, that tastes weird. But, yeah. Have you guys, like, seen any new food combos online that you're like, whoa, this this is not for me? Can I, can I call one out? I used to, growing up, I used to eat kid cuisine a lot growing up. Me and too. I, and I used to combine the mac and cheese with the pudding. Mm. I know say, you were going to say that, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but I did not do that. That's it so actually bad. wasn't that bad. To be honest, I had a kid cuisine very recently just for the nostalgia. It's not taste the same. It's just it's only the mac and cheese that hits. Really? Yeah, it just tastes like me. water to me. It just tastes like that. It just tastes like water. It tasted like watery cheese. Um, do you guys like eating your cereal with anything else other than milk? I just put banana in yeah, it. Yeah, sometimes strawberries. Yeah, true, true. What are your guys' favorite cereals? Fruit Loops, Frosted Flakes, um, Captain Crunch with the berries, and I like but. I just thought about it, putting stuff in my cereals. Like, I would do bananas, right? But for some reason, like, unhealthiest thing in the world growing up, I would do, like, the sugariest cereal, and then I'd mix up a whole Hostess cupcake in there with it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes, no. I, mean, I did not know where that was going. And then after that, like, whoa. I would, I would add sugar to my already sugar cereal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But, all right, y'all. That's all that we have for this show. Thank you so much. I'm going to pass it over to Sophia, who's going to close it off for us. With that, we have reached the conclusion of the What's Up Shameless Shows. We have discovered a lot of bars about, our, about ourselves, but also did some fun activities. To recap, Jasmine led us with the discussion about guilty pleasures and why we shouldn't have a negative image of ourselves in, indulging into certain activities. We focused on our self-image and learned how to, about how to better treat ourselves with a fantastic audience piece by Eileen followed by a meaningful conversation. We broke away from the norms that families and society have implemented by having an in-depth interview with therapist Odette led by me, Sophia, and Angel. 
Wrapping all of this up was a silly audio piece by Ariadne and the WhatsApp team trying to trying out the weirdest food combinations with some good, bad, and others awful. Thank you for listening to WLP and LP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpen Radio, broadcasting live from Studio B in Bridgeport. My name is Sofia, joined by Ariandi, Irene, Angel, Jasmine. From all of us, thank you, thank you so much for tuning in and have a wonderful day. And that's the conclusion of our program. Brought to you by the fine folks at... Oh, not you again. No. Hey, yo, who let her back in? And that's a wrap. We hope you enjoyed whatever it is you just heard, heartwarming interviews, tear-jerking stories, magnificent music, and the sound of our voices. Because God knows that this is the best content on the airwaves. Don't forget to follow YOLO on all their social medias at YOLOKAVI. And you can find all our audio content on SoundCloud, MixCloud, and Apple Podcasts. We bougie like that. Well, that's it. Bye. See you next Saturday from 12 to 2 p.m. for another episode of What's Up?